Okay, um, good morning everyone. So as David um, has said, I am going to be continuing our series on the disciplines of the Spirit. And I'm actually going to be doing this over two weeks. Um, it's quite funny because last week I was actually supposed to be speaking, but David texted me to say his message was looking like it was going to be over two weeks. And then on Friday, I texted him to do the exact same thing. So um, I just thought it was so important that we lay the correct foundation for looking at repentance and confession so that we're coming from it or coming at it from the right angle. So basically, I'm just going to go right back and take a quick overview of the problem of sin. After all, that is the reason why we need repentance and confession. So if we just take a quick glance at Genesis chapter 1, and we can see throughout Genesis chapter 1, there's actually this um, theme of separation. We see God separating the light from the darkness we see God separating the waters above from the waters below. We see God separating the land from the sea. This theme of separation of the differentiation of the different types of plants and animals and sea creatures. But then in verse 26, there comes a change where the theme is no longer separation. There are actually two things um, in this first part of Genesis that are designed to be together. There are two relationships that are designed to be together. So we see in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God designed us to be with him, to be one with him. And later on then in chapter two, we see that God says it's not good for man to be alone. And we see God creating a helper for him from one of his ribs. And Adam says of Eve, she's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And the two have become one flesh. So two instances where the theme is not separation, but togetherness. Two key relationships that form the very basis of our existence, our relationship with God and our relationship with other humans. We were designed to walk with God and to walk together in harmony in our relationships with each other. We often see our relationship with God depicted as walking together. The Bible says of Noah, he walked with God in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. And if you're walking with someone, you're going in the same direction. You have an agreement, you're in tune with each other. You're heading the same way, your wills are aligned. And that's the way it was at the beginning. That's the way it was designed to be with us and God. But unfortunately, as we know, that's not how, um, how things continued. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall. Eve eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she gives some to Adam. They step out of what God has intended for them, and they disobey him. And then immediately we see the separation of the relationship between God and man. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the evening um, and he asks, you know, where are you? Why are you not walking with me? I've come here to spend 
time with you, to commune with you, to fellowship with you, but where are you? And in chapter 3, verse 8, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see that the sin has created this separation, that the instinct now of humans is to cover up, it's to hide from God. We see the shame, we see the guilt of Adam and the hiding from God. And that, that really is our state as humans, not in relationship with God, we're very often hiding from God. And then second of all, we see the separation of Adam and Eve's relationship. We see Adam blaming Eve for um, tempting him with the fruit. And later on, we see that it says that Eve's desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. So sin has created separation in our two key relationships. We're no longer walking in the same direction as God, but we are walking away from him. We're hiding ourselves from him. And Adam and Eve are no longer in step with each other either. And very quickly, we see that the ultimate result of this sin is death. We read about Cain and Abel in chapter 4. And we know that Cain kills his brother Abel. And that brings even further separation of Cain from God. Um, Chapter 4, verse 13 Well, in verse 14, we see Cain saying, You have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. And in verse 16, it says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. So, you know, that is our human condition, away from the presence of God. But thank God in his mercy that he doesn't leave us there. And even after that first admission of guilt that God had to basically drag out of Adam and Eve, we see God makes a covering for them out of animal skins. The first animals are killed to cover sin. And then God actually goes on to make a covenant with people as a way of managing the sin problem. And he institutes the sacrificial system. Ultimately, we know that that sacrificial system wasn't the answer. Um, Ultimately, God in his love sends his only begotten son, Jesus, to die to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Um, And so that when God now looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering us just as Adam and Eve were covered by the animal skins, by the shedding of blood, we are covered by the shedding of Jesus' blood. I want to look then at Hebrews um, chapter 7, starting at verse 23. Well, actually, starting at verse, verse 24. So we basically, in Hebrews, we see a comparison almost of the two systems we see a comparison of the the sacrificial system that we initially had in the old testament and we now see the new the new system the new way of life that there is in jesus so starting at verse 22 it says this makes jesus the guarantor of a better covenant the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office 
but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their wickedness, in their weakness, sorry, as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We see that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Later on then in Hebrews in chapter 10, starting at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we have the, the two systems, and there's so much more in Hebrews, you know, if you take the time to read it, you know, about Jesus as our great high priest, replacing that, that old system of the priesthood. We have one, one priest, a perfect priest, once and for all. In the Old Covenant, we see that we had the sacrificial system. We can read all about it in Leviticus. Animals were slaughtered in the temple in order to pay for sins. We had priests acting as mediators between God and man. We see sacrifices for individuals who have sinned, but also sacrifices for when the people as a whole have sinned. That was the Jewish system for centuries. But the problem with it was it had to be an ongoing thing. These animals had to be killed year after year, and it really was just like an account system. You know, you commit a sin, then you had to offer the right sacrifice so that your sin could be forgiven, and then you would try again. And ultimately you would fail again, and you would have to offer another sacrifice. So you had the law um, given to Moses, and you tried your best to keep it. It was an endless cycle that could never fully deal with the problem of sin. You try, you fail, you offer your sacrifice and you try again. But we thank God that we are not under that old covenant, but we have a new covenant and a better covenant in Jesus. He died once to deal with all sin forever. Complete forgiveness is available to each one of us. Not only this, but by God's Holy Spirit, he promises to put his law within our hearts and write it on our minds. 
So it's no longer an outward struggle to follow a set of rules, but there's now something within us changing us and transforming us from the inside out so that our desire in our inmost being is to do the will of God and not to walk contrary to him. So how do we avail of this new covenant? And the answer is repentance. So in preparing this message on repentance, I really tried to leave at the door anything I thought I actually knew about repentance. I was brought up in a Christian home and I attended every children's meeting there was going. So I was very aware that along the way I may have picked up um, just some things that were maybe slightly off, you know, maybe with a, a childish understanding. I hadn't fully grasped what repentance was. I may have picked up some notions more informed by church um, tradition and religion rather than the actual truth as it's set forth in the Bible. So I want to challenge our view on repentance slightly as well. You know, what do you hear when you think of repentance? You know, is your only concept of repentance seeing maybe somebody out in the street with a, a sign saying repent, the end is nigh? You know, is that what you, you think of when you think of repentance? I'm going to say that repentance is not turning from our sin. And that may shock you. Um, I don't know, David's over there. He might be panicking. He might be wanting to, to cut the live stream when I say that. Repentance is not turning from our sin. But bear with me, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. So you've maybe heard before, repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. You've always got to throw in a wee bit of, of Greek there to show that you have researched your message well. Um, and we look at the translation of that, it's to change your mind. And more specifically, it's to change your mind based on new information or understanding. So it doesn't mean that the terms repent or repentance cannot have anything to do with sin or turning from our sins. It just means that turn from sins isn't the actual definition of the word. The better definition is to change your mind, your way of thinking, based on new information or understanding. And if you are asked to change your mind about something, you need to know what you're changing your mind about. So when you read about repent in the Bible, you've got to look at the context. You know, why is whoever is speaking asking you to repent? Um, what are we being asked to change our mind about. Repentance is the message that Jesus preached. Piper says the demand to repent is as basic as it gets in Jesus' message. It's equally basic to and almost synonymous with the command, you must be born again. Repentance is what Jesus preached, so it was important. And when the original hearers heard Jesus saying, repent in their language, they weren't actually hearing, turn from your sins. He wasn't actually going around saying, you're all so bad, you've done all these wrong things, change your mind about sin, turn away from it and be good. We see in Matthew 4:17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 
Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we are repenting because the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is saying, I am bringing something new and it requires a response. The response is repentance. What you thought you knew, what you've been taught up until this time, change your mind, change your way of thinking. Repent from the way you have been thinking. And we know the way we think informs our living. So we're repenting from the way we have been living. Repent from your incorrect belief system that has informed your life up until now. Basically, as humans, we have been living for ourselves, separated from God. But Jesus is saying, I am now bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Not only to earth, but right into your life. This is the good news that Jesus is bringing and he wants us to believe it. So repentance, it is for the forgiveness of sins. We see that over and over again. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, 45, um, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So repentance is for the forgiveness of sins. So remember that sin problem that we read about in Genesis, we are separated from God because of our sins. Repentance is now how we solve that problem, basically. This forgiveness of sins will restore that relationship with God. That devastating separation between God and man can now be fixed and we can stand again in the presence of a holy God. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Acts 20.21 says, testifying to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 26, 18 to 20. Um, let me just turn to that one. Um, bear with me because I haven't that one marked in my Bible. Acts 26. open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we've seen right in Genesis that God separated the dark from the light, you know, and when we are in our sins, we are as separate as dark is from light. That's how separate we are from God, but there is a way to turn from that darkness into the light of God and we can receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So because of repentance, we can now return to God's presence. 
we can turn back towards him. Our relationship with God can be returned to what it was intended to be back in the garden, walking with God in harmony, restoration of that relationship we first had. There's no longer any separation. We are back walking in step with God in the same direction and our will is aligned with his. Repentance results from the revelation of who Jesus is. So repentance, it's always, it's always tied to something. So we see that it is a result of the hearers, you know, receiving a new revelation, a revelation of who Jesus is. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. He opens the scriptures to the Jews who were there, explaining that Jesus was the Messiah. This, you know, Jesus, they had been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. That's what they had been looking forward to. You know, all of their Old Testament scriptures had been pointing forward to a time when this Messiah would come and save the Jewish people. And Peter opens the scriptures and explains that Jesus, he is this Messiah and you have just crucified him. And in verse 37, we read, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What shall we do about this? And Peter says to them, repent, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we read that the, the word of God, it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, and how it says the word's living. How is the word living? The word's living because of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter preaches that message, we read um, back in verse four that he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he preached the message. So by the Holy Spirit, he pierces our heart with a revelation of who Jesus is. You know, they are cut right to the very soul, right to their very inner being now that they see, now that Jesus himself has been revealed as their Messiah. And he asks them then to repent. Repent from your rejection of Jesus and accept that he is the Messiah, the one who was sacrificed for you and forgiveness of sins which separate you from God will be yours. Again, we read about Peter and John. He heals the man or they heal the man at the gate of the temple and again, he preaches the word to them. And he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And because of what I have preached, because of what is revealed to you in the scriptures, repent, repent therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Repent, change your mind about Jesus and accept that it is only through his death that we can have forgiveness of sins. Later on in Acts then, we read about Paul preaching in Athens. And um, those first two sermons were to Jews. So they would have understood this concept of the Messiah because that's what they were looking forward to. That's what they had been taught since childhood. 
But the Athenians, they worshipped numerous gods and idols. And they even had one dedicated to an unknown god in case they had missed any of them out. And Paul preaches to them and he says in Acts 17, 29, Being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So in this case, he is asking the Athenians to repent from the notion that God is in any way contained in a lifeless idol. So it's not simply believe, you know, in this God that I'm revealing to you in the scriptures, or there would have been a temptation for them maybe just to add God on to their list of gods that they already had. Rather, there had to be a complete change, a complete turning away of what had gone before, a complete turning away of their belief system, turning away from their belief system in idols. So repentance is more than simply believing. It's really allowing that knowledge to completely transform our thinking. Repent from your dead works, as we read in Hebrews 6.1, and turn to a living God. So we can see that coming to God, coming to Jesus, can never just be an add-on. We have to do away with any idols um, in our lives. And although us today, we might not have you know, like physical idols or statues that we actually worship, but we do have idols. We do have things that take the place of God. And our biggest idol is actually ourself. It's putting our self um, as the Lord in our life. You know, we're number one. It's, it's our will. Our will is the only will we need to follow. That is our biggest idol. So as part of repentance, it's completely turning away from that previous mindset that we had, that there is only one true living God who deserves to be the King and the Lord of our life. Um, I came across a blog by a guy called Matt Sheeks, and he's a triathlete and um, a Christian. Never heard of him before. It was just, you probably shouldn't do this, but typing things into Google just to see what comes up. But you need, you need to be careful what you, what you um, get, get back when you search in Google. But I thought this was, was really good and it sums up things quite nicely. Um, so in each of these three examples, and that was the examples we looked at there in Acts of Peter and Paul preaching. So it says the preacher, Peter or Paul, was asking their audience to believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Saviour as a result of repenting, repenting. That's because when it comes to salvation, the issue is who Jesus is and what he did. It's not about what you do, but what Jesus has done. Is what he did on the cross sufficient to save you from your sins? And do you believe that? We all have a sin problem which separates us from God, but turning from our sins isn't the solution to the problem. Turning from our sins is the problem. It is because we cannot turn from our sins that we are in need of the blood of Christ. And thank God that he provided a perfect solution to our sin problem, that all our striving, good works and efforts to stop sinning 
all imperfect solutions could never fixed, fix. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. So that's what that, that blog by Matt Sheik said. So I just really, I really like that part where it says, turning from our sins isn't the solution to the problem. Turning from our sins is the actual problem. We can't do that of ourselves. Jesus is asking us when he says repent, he is asking us for a radical change of heart of our entire belief system and way of life. And we can't make this change on our own. Um, if we look then at Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to, their, to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see again, repentance is not turning from our sins. 
well, it's, we have the desire to turn from our sins, but repentance is coming to that place of recognizing that we cannot turn from our sins. We are hopeless on our own. We can't deal with this sin problem um, in our lives. Humans have been trying for centuries and it hasn't worked. And we see the writer expressing that, that grief, wretched man that I am. I need help. I'm just making a mess here. I give up. I need someone to help me. I need someone to deliver me. And repentance is coming to this point. It's recognizing how hopelessly entangled in our sin we are. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our good deeds and our own righteousness are as filthy rags before God. And when, when we come to that point of realizing that, when we come to that point where the Spirit has revealed and opened our eyes as to just how sinful and hopelessly entangled and unable to help ourselves that we are there is what the writer in corinthians talks about as a godly grief a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret charles spurgeon says repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin and a mourning that we have committed it and a resolution to forsake it you know we really just our eyes are opened as to, to who we are, you know, without God. We, we are nothing without God. And we realize how holy God is and how, how big that separation is. It's as big as the separation of light from darkness, as big as the separation of the sky from the sea. We want to change, but we can't change. And we cry out to God for help. Repentance is not turning from our sins. Repentance is recognizing that we cannot turn from our sins without help. So really, I just, we need to give up any notion that repentance is about turning from our sin in the sense that we're now just going to try and stop doing bad things and we're vowing to be a good person from now on because we just can't do that. Repentance comes through the Spirit working in us and revealing our sinful state. So we need a helper even to get us to that point to reveal to us our sinful state. In John 16 uh, verse 8 it says, When he comes, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. So he will reveal to us our sin, you know, God's righteousness, and that um, there is judgment for that. Um, for the, and then it says, so basically in Hebrews chapter seven, we see that comparison of life before repentance and life after repentance. We had the law of sin, but through Jesus, we are now under a new law, and this law is the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So when we truly repent, when we truly fall on our knees before God and declare that we are wretched and helpless on our own 
and that we want to turn away and we want to be in relationship with God. And we recognize that the only way that that can happen is through Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. Repentance then brings us a new spirit-filled life, a life of joy and of peace and of truth. We are completely free from that endless cycle that we read about in the Old Testament of confession and sacrifice, confession again, sin never completely dealt with. Now sin is dealt with once and for all and we are free from that guilt. We are free from that condemnation. There's now no longer um, any condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we are restored into a right relationship with God no longer separated and when we die or Christ returns we will be perfectly together with him forever so we have you know it's that that kingdom of God it's yes it's now it's here on earth but it's not yet going to be fully realized and it's the same with our relationship with God we have a relationship with God you know the way is opened Hebrews 10 Verse uh, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the way is open. We can have that relationship with God here on earth. You know, it's talking about that way into the Holy of Holies. We've seen in the Old Testament, the only way into the Holy of Holies was through the sacrifice of animals. But now the way is open once and for all into the holy presence of God. And we will know that in full whenever Christ returns and we are with him forever in eternity. So we see, you know, we're talking about the disciplines of the Spirit. You know, these disciplines without the Spirit are something completely different. So we just need to keep the Holy Spirit central to everything that we are thinking about. The Holy Spirit brings about that work of repentance in our heart. You know, anybody that tells you about their um, repentance or their salvation or conversion experience, I'm sure will tell you about a stirring in their heart where they just have fresh eyes to see what's going on. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings all this about. Repentance is for everyone. It's what Jesus preached. It's what the um, believers in the, the early church preached, not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, for all people everywhere. So really, repentance, it is, it's so foundational to everything that we believe. And next week, I kind of hope to go on from here, um, how the Spirit helps us and leads us in the ongoing discipline of repentance and confession. But I just thought it was so important to get that foundation right, to ensure we have the right foundation, that we are completely secure in the new covenant. 
before we go on to look at you know the ongoing discipline of um, repentance and spirit or uh, repentance and confession that the Holy Spirit helps and leads us into and we want to avoid any notion of slipping into that old covenant thinking of condemnation and guilt. Hebrews 6 1 says therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. You know, once we have made that decision, we have repented. It's once and for all. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to cover our sins. Our dead works and our efforts are not sufficient, but we must come to a place of true repentance, a, a true change of heart and change of mind um, to receive that free gift of forgiveness. You know, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross remains sufficient for our sins and just on that point then I'll ask David to to come back and just we're going to partake of communion we're going to remember that sacrifice that foundation that has been laid for us once and for all when we have truly repented